Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to do something new. Pastor Dwayne is sitting down in the studio to answer some questions that we thought would be of some interest. Today's questions will relate to the biblical truths most people are missing. If you have questions, please email us at info at walkingbyfaith.tv. I pray that this new format will bring clarity to your life, build your faith, and help you change the way you think. Ask you a question. What are some important biblical truths that Christians miss or just don't understand? There, there's, there's several really, I can think, very, very important ones. But one of them that Christians seem to almost totally miss uh, is found in the Old Testament, and that may be part of the reason why they miss it. Uh, it's interesting, you know, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And you really can't understand your entire Bible without understanding the book of Genesis. And uh, Genesis chapter 12, there's, there's three verses that are without a doubt the most important three verses in the entire Old Testament. And I don't even think you can understand the Bible without understanding these three verses. So in Genesis 12, God's talking to Abraham, and he said, get out of your country, away from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. And he says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But just those couple of verses really, the, the entire Bible uh, springs from those verses right there. You know, He said, uh, I'll make you a great nation. Uh, that's the nation of Israel. And we look today and we say, there's Israel, it's a great nation. But uh, the Hebrew actually means the premier, superior, above all others. And it's either talking about sometime in the future when Jesus comes back, he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is going to be the premier nation, excuse me, Israel will be the premier nation on the face of the earth, not the United States or China or Russia. Uh, he goes on and, and uh, he says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Uh, it was probably 20 years ago now that uh, Newsweek, uh, which other time, and another major uh, magazine all had Abraham's face on, their, on the cover of their magazine the same week. So when you've been dead for 4,000 years <laughs> and everybody's putting your face on the cover of their magazine, your name's great. Uh, you look at Abraham, he's considered the father of the three major religions of Christianity, of Judaism, and Islam. You know, his name is great. He said, uh, you'll be a blessing. And he is, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to talk about that, but he says, this is really God's foreign policy. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And uh, that is absolutely still in force today. And then in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Really a prophetic uh, subject here, talking about coming of Jesus and salvation coming to all the earth. So a little time passes, and God's meeting with Abraham again. And uh, Abraham says, well, how can I know? How can I know you're going to do this? And uh, God says to Abraham, you know, take two heifers and split them in half and do this. And uh, we, we hear something like that, and we might think, man, a barbecue. But that's not what Abraham thought. Abraham thought covenant. So he would split those animals. And then the tradition was that the two men 
would walk together, literally making circle eights around those dead animals and all their blood, and they would make promises to each other. So Abraham splits the animals. He's waiting for God to show up, and the Bible says he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, the Bible says that a furnace, a smoking furnace and a torch come and pass through the pieces. And then it says in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And then it talks about what's in that covenant. And, and some of the very interesting things in that covenant are God specifically tells Abraham the land that he's going to give him. Right? And if we look at Israel today and look at the land that God promised, it's over 10 times the size that Israel is going to be when God fulfills that. But what I really think is interesting is in the New Testament, it says, and to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Right? He does not say to seeds as to many, but as to one and to your seed. And then it tells us, which is Christ. All right. So God the Father and God the Son walk through the pieces, and God the Father promises Jesus certain promises, and Abraham walks in that covenant. So today, a lot of people say the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, they're nothing. Uh, they call it replacement theology, that the Jews, that God's promises to the Jews mean nothing today, that all of those now are part uh, of the church. They just belong to the church. Uh, the Jews, they, they, they forsook God, they didn't receive the Messiah, and because of that, they say, they disqualified themselves. But God made those promises to Jesus, and Abraham just got to walk in it. And so those promises are still totally enforced today. Right? Um, here, here in Genesis 15, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham to your descendants, I will give the land. From the river of Egypt, the great river, the river of Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Prejuzites, the Rephaim. And, and literally, God is saying, here's the land that your people are going to have. Um, that's why as, as uh, believers, as Christians, we should always, always stand with the Jewish people and stand with Israel. Because God's foreign policy is, I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In fact, you can see it really, really strongly in uh, the book of Joel. Um, Hollywood is constantly doing something about Armageddon. You know, uh, It's actually the prophecy about Armageddon in its fullest part is actually found right in Joel chapter 3. And uh, it says, And behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, and it's interesting that God had said he was going to disperse the Jews throughout the world. But in the last days, he'd bring them back. And this prophecy is talking about when they come back to the land. He says, I'll gather all nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Um, also referred to as the valley of Jezreel or Armageddon. It's a huge valley. Like if you're up on Mount Carmel, you look, it must be nearly 50 miles long. When... Uh, Napoleon saw it. He said, all of the armies of the world could maneuver here. And God says, I'm going to bring the armies of the world down there. He said, and I'm going to enter into judgment with you there. 
Now, here's the important thing upon which to talk about. On account of my people, the Jews, my heritage, Israel, whom they scattered among the nations, and also they divided up my land. In other words, the whole purpose of, of Armageddon, and it seems like everybody's heard of Armageddon, you know, the whole purpose is to judge nations based on how they've treated Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, all throughout history, uh, the Jewish people have been oppressed, whether it was in, in medieval Europe, uh, Spain, 15, uh, 14, excuse me, 1492, they kick all of the Jews out. Um, the the, the uh, Russian Empire under the Tsars, like the Romanovs, had over a thousand different laws that just discriminated against Jews. You can't go to the university. You can't own property in a town. You can't be a military officer. A thousand different ones against the Jewish people. And, and God says, look, the day's coming when my foreign policy, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He said it's going to, it's going to have its fulfillment at Armageddon. And I think that because so many Christians believe that today Israel is insignificant and the Jewish people are insignificant, but yet all of those, everything that we see happening in the New Testament, in the Bible, is really a fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham. And that covenant is still in force today. God is bringing the Jewish people back to their land. They're going to possess that land. Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem. He said, in, in the millennial kingdom, he said, my, my 12 disciples, you're going to sit on 12 thrones. You're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus arose from the dead, the disciples were like, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he didn't say, no, I'm never going to do that. He just said, it's not for you to know the time or the season. He said, but here's what we're going to deal with now. And uh, all of those promises that God made are still going to be fulfilled. And as believers, uh, we need to love Israel. Uh, think about it. Our Savior was Jewish. His mother was Jewish. Every single one of the authors of your New Testament, they're Jewish. We're grafted in to the promise that God made to Abraham. And uh, as believers, we need to bless Israel, stand with Israel, love Jewish people. And uh, I think it's a great truth that so many Christians today miss. And, and personally, I can understand how 500 years ago, John Calvin or Martin Luther, they looked at those prophecies and they said, that's just impossible, that can't be. So it must be, and they spiritualized everything. But for you and me today, to look at those same prophecies and look at a map and see Israel right there today and see God fulfilling the prophetic word that he said he would do, and then to still go back to that uh, God isn't going to literally fulfill that, I think we're really, really missing. So kind of going off of that, what are some practical ways that we as Christians can pray for them fast? Like, what can we do? Well, obviously, the Bible says very clearly, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I would say as a believer, you know, we're going to pray, we're going to do spiritual things, we're going to do humanitarian things, you know, but don't let anybody around you uh, be anti-Semitic and, and make degrading remarks about Jewish people. Don't do it. 
God says, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And uh, we just need to constantly be blessing Israel and blessing the Jewish people. So that's uh, one thing that, you know, an important yeah. biblical truth that uh, mm -hmm. Christians maybe miss or just, just don't understand. Are there, what, what's another one? Okay. I think that another really important biblical truth that, that people miss is the fact that we have the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or the Old Way of Righteousness and we have the New Covenant or the New Way of Righteousness. And a lot of people really believe, they go to church and I don't know how they, 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 they end up like this, but they believe that, that Christianity is about obeying a bunch of rules and regulations. You do this and you do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, right? But yet the Bible tells us in the New Testament that all of that was given to us as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In other words, God gave us the law so we knew we were sinners and we needed a savior. Right? Romans 3.20 says that no flesh has ever been made right with God by the works of the law or by being a good person. But yet so often you talk to somebody and you say, hey, are you a Christian? I'm really trying to be. Uh, in other words, they're saying, you know, I, I'm trying to obey this rule and that rule. But the Bible says no one has ever been made right with God by being good. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, nobody. Right? So Ephesians 2 says, so God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's the gift of God. All right? Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. So being a Christian is not about obeying this rule and that rule, right? It's about believing that Jesus paid for your sin, that he died, rose again, and living for him, making him the Lord of your life. So it's not a matter of the rules that so many people are trying to obey, thinking the rules will make them right with God where the Bible says no one has ever been made right with God by obeying rules. And uh, it's just amazing to me how many people fall into that trap, that it's just this rule and that rule. I mean, I grew up in church, and we read the Ten Commandments every Sunday. And it was like, if you'll just obey these, you'll be right with God. But the truth is nobody's ever made it. Nobody's ever done it. And so that, that is a, a huge, huge thing. It's in Hebrews 10 of the Message Bible. I, I do love that translation. It says it like this. It says that there was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single sacrifice, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. In other words, it's what Jesus did 100% and not our good works that save us. And it's so important that everybody grab hold of that. John Wesley talks about, uh, he was 35 years old. He was an ordained Episcopal minister. He'd gone as a missionary to the United States, was pr preaching, preaching, but yet did not understand that. And he was part of the Holy Club, and they just tried to be good. And... Uh, earn salvation. And he talks, I believe it was Eldergate Street, where he went one night 
and heard someone literally reading Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, talking about how it's by grace through faith, not of works. And as he put it, you know, in my heart, it was strangely warm. And I knew that he had died for me. But for years, even as a minister, he was trying to be right with God by obeying rules. But then that one, that one time, there's that one revelation that it was a faith thing by grace and uh, just changed his life and, and actually probably changed England. Such a great revival ensued. So part of that kind of mentality and that, that misconception of Christians, a lot of the time I, I've personally heard or seen you know, going off of that, if I prayed more, if I prayed the right thing, or maybe God isn't listening to me because I did this, or can you kind of speak into that? Is Because that seems like part of, a, part of a misconception of yeah. of that. Like, I need to do everything right, and then God will listen to me, or then God will see yeah. me. Like, can you... Yeah, I, you know, people say that. You, you've probably heard this. when They say, you know, have a new Christian pray for you, because they always get their prayers answered. Okay, and, and here's the reason why. Because new Christians know it's not because of any good thing I've done. And they just come to God in faith and receive by faith and grace. And they're not trying to perform. But then Christians later, they're like, well, you know, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, I give my money, I help in the Sunday school, I do this. And they try to receive based on works. And it just doesn't work. That's not, that's not how the, this thing, that's not how salvation is. That's not how prayers are answered. It, it's not a thing that we earn. I think it's the new Christians that really understand it. God didn't save me because I was good. He saved me in spite of how bad I was. Right? So Romans, excuse me, Romans, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, the Living Bible says it like this. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. So, so, so I think we just need to recognize that salvation is not based on how good or bad you've been, because your sins cannot keep you from God, because Jesus paid for them. He blotted them out. He is not holding your sin against you that you didn't pray, that you didn't fast, that you did this wrong or that wrong. Again, it's by, it's by, by grace through faith that we're saved. The sooner we grab it, the better we're going to be and the more stable a Christian life is. It's not up and down based on a person's performance. That's so good and so true. Yeah. Um, thinking of that as well, though, I mean, with prayers of a new believer being kind of that, that pure, I'm just coming to you exactly yeah. as I am. Um, would you say also, just kind of a spinoff question on that, would unbelievers' prayers, if done with the right heart or belief, you know, work as well, quote unquote, or would God re respond to, to the prayers of an unbeliever or someone who's working through, maybe hasn't committed themselves to Christ fully yet, but it's still... You know, we're, we're saying believer. I, I'd like to to say it like this. You know, when a, when a person comes to Jesus today in the new covenant, they're born again. All right, they become a child of God. Nobody in the Old Testament 
was born again. And God answered all kinds of prayers in the Old Testament. So I would say absolutely someone who's not saved can come. God's going to hear their prayers. Absolutely. Now, they don't have the same confidence coming through the blood of Jesus, which tells us to come boldly, but absolutely they can pray. And uh, I'm glad because every sinner has to have their prayers answered to get saved. Receiving Jesus. So, yes, I think absolutely the answer to that is yes. Great. So you kind of hit on two different yeah. you know, misconceptions or places that Christians miss in, uh, for biblical truths. Uh, do you have... Uh, I have one third? more. I'll give you one, one more quick thought. All right. All right. Most people, even people that go to church, think of Christianity as a religion. All right. Which I would say that is the wrong, it is, it's totally the wrong answer. Uh, it's not the way Jesus or his disciples or the New Testament presents Christianity. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, in my understanding, religion is always man-initiated and man-reaching to God. Where Christianity is God-initiated and is God-reaching to man. So we respond, we're not initiating, we're responding. But to me, the most important part of this is Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. You, you, you look, uh, I think it's uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, 13th chapter. I think he, Jesus gives six different parables. In every one of them, he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is like, not Christianity is like a kingdom. Not following Christianity is like a kingdom. He says, it is a kingdom, right? In Acts 1, Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says, for 40 days, he spoke to the disciples things concerning the kingdom of God. So Christianity is not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not a morality. Christianity is a kingdom, right? Jesus is the king. The Bible says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. When he comes back, Psalms 110 says, uh, this, is pretty, this is pretty scary, it says that he will execute the heads of many nations and he will fill the place with dead bodies. Uh, he's coming back to rule and to reign. Uh, he, it, it is such a different picture than, than what most Christians have. Um, they simply think of Christianity as being a religion, but the Bible says Christianity is a kingdom and there really is no other uh, true definition of what Christianity is. And when you no longer see it as a religion, but you see it as a kingdom, that Jesus is the king, and he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. Uh, there's going to be that, that thousand-year reign. I think it's interesting in, in the, the uh, book of Revelations, in six verses, six times, it says it's going to be a thousand years. But then there's the eternal kingdom after that. And uh, for all of it, I mean, Jesus is king. He's king. And it's a kingdom. And uh, we need to think of Christianity not as a religion or a morality or as a philosophy, but we need to think of it as a kingdom. And we're serving our king. And we're a part of that kingdom, fellow citizens. So how can we serve in this kingdom? I mean, not just... Well, you, if you look at Jesus, the only thing Jesus did for three and a half years was teach people how to live in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. 
That's what he was doing. He said, this is how you live in the kingdom of God. But he said, it's at hand. And, and uh, one, one uh, of the more modern translations says this. Jesus came saying, the kingdom of God is here. Rethink your life. Rethink your life. Right? Because the king, the, this, is, this is a kingdom. So you're going to live different. You're going to live as part of this kingdom. And it's not just a morality. It's not a philosophy. And it's definitely not a religion. Right? It's a kingdom. And we come to the king and uh, we bow down, we serve, we worship the king. Every single person. So no matter where we go, we're to bring the kingdom with us. Represent the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So do you have any final thoughts or comments? No, I'm good. You're good. So thank you. It's been a good talk today. It has been. Thank you so much okay. for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thank and you. God bless. Did you know the Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life? That's right. Know that you have it. Not, I hope I'm on my way to heaven. Not, I'm trying to be a good person. But you're supposed to know, not find out when you die, but know that you're right with God. And if you don't know that in your heart, I want to pray with you today. If you say, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a part of his family. I want to live for God. If that is you and you don't know for sure, you're just like, I thought I'd die and find out if I made it to heaven. Would you bow your head, pray this prayer with me. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you love me, that you've heard my prayer, that you forgive me, that I'm a part of your family now today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that simple prayer, God heard that prayer, and you really are forgiven and right with God. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually, and I want to give it to you absolutely free of charge. Now, you can download that book, or you can contact us, and we will send you a hard copy free of charge. And again, this book is going to help you. It is going to bless you and your spiritual walk. God bless. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you're making one of the best decisions of your life. How awesome. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Just jump right on to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of this book be mailed to you or download it right there instantly. Again, it is absolutely free. If you have questions you would like to ask Pastor Dwayne, please email them to info at walkingbyfaith.tv. We would love to answer them. Also, we have answers to more questions available to watch on our website and our app. You can now find today's program available on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Just search for Walking by Faith or find us in your favorite app store. If Walking by Faith is impacting your life and you'd like to help change the lives of others around the world, please consider becoming a partner with us. Check out walkingbyfaith.tv slash give for all the information, or you can submit a one-time gift. If you need someone to pray with or God is just doing amazing things in your life, we would love to hear about it. You can contact us by phone, email, or through our app. Also, find us on your favorite social platform by searching WBF TV. Thank you again for watching, and we can't wait to see you again next time.